You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, and we've got an exciting show planned for you today, and one that's going to be very gripping, I think, make you really think about a lot of the issues, and I especially hope a lot of Christian women out there will be paying attention to this. We're going to begin some sensitive matters, but it's important stuff needs to be covered, and I, I'm hoping I'm going to get this one up as soon as I can. Also, it just lets you... No, but right after the show, Ali and I are going to be heading out to the Miss Shining Star Pageant, which is a beauty pageant <clears throat> that's held here in the area where I've heard I was going to be one in Nashville, Tennessee as well, for girls and women with disabilities. And yeah, I do have to make that little plug also because last year my wife was the first ever Miss Shining Star. So yes, guys out there, I can say I am married to a beauty queen. Very nice privilege to have. I, I really think the whole thing is great. And no, Allie's not entering this year because she wants another girl to get to experience that honor. But today, I've got a very good friend on the line, and I've heard her interview on the Chris Date program, the Fee Apologetics, and it was just absolutely stunning, gripping. I, I was incredibly moved by it, which is really hard for an SP like myself. But so it was. And my friend is Dee Dee Warren. She and I have known each other for quite some time. If you're interested in studying eschatology, chances are you've come across her work sometime. She used to run the Preterist site, and I don't know if she's still doing it, but she's got the Preterist podcast as well. And she's got a book coming out in the future called It's Not the End of the World. It's her commentary on Matthew 24 and... It is the best commentary that I know of. I'm really looking forward to seeing it in print, and I hope we'll have her on the show to talk about it. But my guest is Dee Dee Warren. We've been friends, like I said, for a long time. So, Dee Dee, it is a privilege to have you on the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you, Nick, very much. I'm very uh, privileged to be here, and I know we've been planning this for some time. So, thank you. Yeah, you and I go way, way back. I think we've known each other for... At least over a decade, I'd say, and that's largely through Theology Web. And you've moved away from Theology Web since then, but it it was a forum you started with some others for people to come and have debates and just talk about any sort of matters, even just fun, frivolous matters, right? Um, yeah, and I think we met right about when it started, which was what about 2003. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I've, I've since moved away from that, but I understand you're still there and on staff, and it's a it's a wonderful site, and anyone interested in that, that type of community dialogue, I, I highly recommend it to them. I didn't leave because it was a bad forum or anything like that. I just had to move on in my life to some other things and didn't have the time to give to the community what it deserved. Yeah, you and I have both kind of had the same kind of thing happened in that regard that I used to be much more active and now I have my own sub form there but I pretty much just go 
post there and post in JP Holdings section and that's about it. I mean, even my own staff duties have been limited as all I do is handle the deeper water section and that's it. We've, we've both undergone a lot of changes in our life since then. You were extremely active with the Predress site when I showed up and now you're moving on and moving away from forms and tally. And for me, I was kind of a shy kid who was incredibly singer and now here I am happily married and so much has changed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed, a whole lot has. And the sites you mentioned before, none of them are up any longer and mm-hmm. I don't do the podcast, okay. but I might do the podcast again once my book comes out um, and have it conform exactly actually not a podcast like a patio book like I'll mm-hmm. do an audio more personal interactive mm-hmm. um, version of the book which was all the podcast was to begin with yeah. but it, it was dated it dealt with affairs that were going on at that time and you know when you move on in your life you don't want to keep keep that old stuff out there there's just no reason for that it's not healthy and the book is called it's not the end of the world right indeed it is and it's not the end of the world <laughs> Well, I hope we'll have you on again when that time comes, because that would be an excellent book to discuss. It's certainly relevant to Christian apologetics today. But today, we're having a different kind of conversation. And with this, we need to get to know you a little bit more. Now, Needy, you're strong in doing what you do in serving ministry. So obviously, you grew up in a good Christian home. You were an obedient little Christian girl all your life. And when you heard the altar call, you just went down and accepted Christ and found yourself doing Ministry immediately. That's how it happened, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, no. Um, actually, I, I became a Christian later in life. I think I'm not good with dates, so I'm going to have to ask everyone's forgiveness for any uh, inconsistencies in dates ahead of time. I'm, I'm, I'm getting older, and my memory's not what it used to be. But I believe I was 29 years old when I became a Christian and had quite a colorful past before that. I used to be... Well, a lot of different things, but the things that people seem to find most interesting is that I was a bass player in a death metal band mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, was really quite the the little anti-Christian rebel. Mm-hmm. I wasn't neutral to Christianity. Mm-hmm. I was I was downright hostile towards it. I remember I had this uh, this jacket that I I decorated on the back that had um, the word sheep with a um, with like an X through it. It was specifically referring to Christians. I was uh, extraordinarily hostile. Mm. Now, when you say you were part of a death metal band, uh, was this a band that any of us would know about, or did, or does it have any connections to any bands we know about? Or Well, nobody would know about, well, the music's actually on YouTube. Um, people collect those old uh, tapes. I wish I never recorded any of those. Um, it's no one that anyone here would recognize. People who are from the South Florida um, thrash death metal scene mm-hmm. in my age group would known of us. We were contemporary with um, Marilyn Manson when they started out in the mm-hmm. South Florida mm-hmm. music scene. So that gives you a time frame. And in that little limited fish pond, we were decent-sized fish. But mm-hmm. again, it was a, it was a very... A very small pond. Mm-hmm. So how is it that a deaf metal fast girl who's totally resistant to Christianity and rebel against it ends up becoming a devout Christian? Well, not to get into soteriology here, you and I have some, some differences there, mm-hmm. uh, but 
oh, then how do I do this without talking about soteriology? I mean, I can give you the facts, and then we can all uh, make our own determinations as to what the the supernatural grounds are. That would work. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom became a Christian a few years before I did, and I was really quite stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, she kept inviting me to church, and I was just too proud to go as long as she invited me I wasn't going to go and I wasn't going to go on my own either it's just stubborn but my mom had got cancer Ooh, Nick you're going to get me upset and mm-hmm. um, uh, I was at her deathbed mm-hmm. and she just to make her happy I promised I'd go to church the next day because I knew it would give her peace Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I might have been a little bit, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a, a Christian person, but I certainly wasn't going to break a deathbed promise. So I right. went, and that day, the next day, well, it was actually the week after because I had to handle funeral arrangements. I mean, she died right after I made that promise. Mm. Um, then the next weekend, it was just instantaneous. I mean, I was at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. That's mm-hmm. where I was saved. I believe my mom died on January 20th. By February 9th, I was a, a baptized active Christian. It was a complete, absolute turnaround and not anything I um, planned on. I didn't have any Christian friends or Christian influences or Christian anything. Mm-hmm. And if I'm correct, you still endorse Calvary Chapel to this day, don't you? Endorse is a, is, is a strange word. Yeah. I believe they are a good Christian church. Mm-hmm. I would... Um, Never say that there's no, that they're not promoting the kingdom of Christ. Right. Um, I, but as far as endorse, I think their theology is a little whack. So yeah. on secondary issues, mm-hmm. and in good conscience, I couldn't send someone there who didn't already agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say they're not a Christian church. We yeah. just disagree. Um, I'm Reformed, as you know, which some people may know as Calvinists, and they're not. And I'm a Preterist, as you know, and they're not. And I just think those are two really important issues that they have wrong. But when it comes to the gospel, they're solid. Mm. But another problem, this isn't a Calvary Chapel problem. It's it's a megachurch problem. Um, I went to Calvary Fort Lauderdale. It's the largest church in the state of Florida. We had our Christmas services at Panther Stadium. I mean, there was like 26,000 people. Mm-hmm. And that promotes a culture that isn't good for the head pastor. And some people may know the head ca- the guy who baptized me fell. Um, he's, a, he's a shamed pastor now. He was involved in sexual sin with multiple members of the congregation. I think mm-hmm. the megachurch model sets mere mortal men up almost as demigods and it sets them up for that kind of failure Mm -hmm. and it's a shame because Pastor Bob Coy did an awful lot of work an awful lot of good work Mm -hmm. now also since you mentioned the preterist aspect I should point out as I've said on blog entry that you're in fact the reason I'm a preterist today because you gave such a great presentation of theology of convention okay that fills in all the gaps I've got Oh, wow. I didn't know that was what did it, so I'm glad I put the time into that. I think mm-hmm. I've reproduced quite a few preterists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you have too. But now let's get back to the main issue, though. And, folks, we are going to be getting really personal here, and Dee Dee knows about this. But she's very friend. and I think her story can really help a lot of others. But when you are in your death metal anti-Christian state, 
I'm guessing there was a whole lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, but, you know, considering the story we're about to to, to talk about and just, you know, abortion and pro-life issues to begin mm-hmm. with, um, I wasn't a particularly, I wasn't a sexually promiscuous person. I mean, mm-hmm. by Christian standards, I suppose people would think so. But by worldly standards, you know, one long-term boyfriend to another long-term boyfriend, we weren't talking about what you think about with bands, you know, you go and take home a, a groupie each night. It wasn't like one night stands constantly. Exactly, but mm-hmm. still, you know, it's premarital and yep. you, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, that sort of thing. But it isn't anything particularly shocking mm-hmm. when it comes to things like that. I think I was pretty much the mm-hmm. typical American girl. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that can happen with that lifestyle, though, is pregnancy can take place. Indeed, um, I first ha- had my first unwanted pregnancy when I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. And that's before my band days, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I was I in high school. It was either in high school or just after high school, and messing around. And I can't even say, well, we did everything that we could possibly do. And whoops, you know, contraception fails. Nope, I wasn't even using any contraceptive. And you mm-hmm. know what? I didn't care because this was my attitude. If I get pregnant, I'll have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't care what the pro-choice feminists say. That's a typical attitude of a young American girl. I was not exceptional Mm -hmm. in that regard. Older women who've had more time to reflect on life, I think, are generally more responsible. Mm -hmm. But you got 18-year-old hormones going on, you know, and you're out running wild. It, it, it wasn't even for me that it wasn't available or things got hot and heavy and we didn't feel like running to the store. I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised that the same kind of attitude is also amongst young men like that. Not just, I mean, we're not the ones that carry the baby, of course. We're like, hey, if my girl gets pregnant, I'll just send her off and have an abortion. That's it. Um, yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it, 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 we'll get to this, but that wasn't my the only one I had when I was 21. Um, so three years later, mm-hmm. already engaged to be married. So we can't really even give the whole, well, you know, there's not going to be a father. It's a difficult choice. No, not really. Um, I was. We were going to be married in three months and or thereabouts, two or three months. And I just didn't want a baby. And mm-hmm. I, I can't recall at that time whether there was even an attempt at birth control because my attitude still was, if and I'm pretty sure there was an attempt at birth control and it failed or whatever. I can't mm-hmm. can't say I recall, but still, my attitude then and even after the second one, my attitude was in the early years of our marriage, we didn't want children. If I got pregnant, I would have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Now, both of these, of course, were when you weren't a Christian, and <clears throat> so. There, was there any sort of inkling with any of, the, any of these abortions that you might have had at the time, like, what if I'm doing something wrong? Was that even there? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And th- that's usually the portion of my mm-hmm. frankness that people find shocking. Mm-hmm. But I think that is not an unusual attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think even today, it's even more common. You have the ultra-feminist movement. Mm-hmm. that is not only teaching girls now 
which wasn't going on when I was younger, that not only are you not doing anything wrong, you are actually doing something right. Right. And that's something we've got to we've got to learn how to um, counter today. But we 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 have to realize if we're talking to people who are considering this mm-hmm. option, we're coming from our Christian presuppositions. Mm-hmm. where it's clearly wrong. Right. But the modern woman who's not a Christian does not necessarily have those those scruples. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren Winner in her book, Real Sex and Naked Truth About Chastity, has said that we also make a mistake with Christian youth because we often tell them, you know, if you engage in something like premarital sex, you're going to feel so guilty the next day. And it's just, well, actually a lot of them wake up the next day and they feel just fine. And if they're told that, they might start thinking, hmm, church was not telling me the truth about that one. What else are they not telling me the truth about? Yeah, I think one thing you've known about me in any Christian activity I do, and sometimes I'm not particularly popular amongst a certain type of Christian. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. God bless them, but sometimes we don't like each other very much. Um is we've got to be careful not to oversell our case. Mm-hmm. Often when we're talking to women about abortion, we will try to appeal to emotions that either don't exist or someone could appeal to them in a better way than we do. And if you're simply making an emotional argument, the person who makes mm-hmm. the better emotional argument wins. And, and what we're getting at here is a lot of times women will tell other women don't have an abortion you're going to feel really bad about it later maybe not tomorrow but next year or when you know you have kids and let me tell you till i became a christian i never felt bad about it when people told me i'd feel bad about it i'd think they're lying because Mm -hmm. that's not true and Mm -hmm. let's say even if i did um you're appealing then to a principle of right and wrong based upon the subjective feelings of the woman. Mm. Whether something is right or it's wrong has nothing to do with how you or I or anyone else feels about it. And by saying they'll feel bad, you're appealing to their selfishness. Mm. All the person, all another person needs to do is appeal to an even greater area of their selfishness. Mm. Look how this will impact Mm. your life. You mm-hmm. don't want something to impact your life, do you? Isn't that more important than feeling bad? Yeah. When uh, I was at a church one time, we had a silver ring thing going on. For those who don't know, that's an event had to encourage children in the church, youth, to wait until marriage. And the associate pastor got up and he was giving a talk and saying, if you uh, have sex before marriage, you're going to do it for selfish reasons. I think, okay. For the most part, I can agree with that, all right? But then he went on to say, now, what you should do is think about, what if you get pregnant? What if you get an STD? Think about the guilt you feel. Think about the shame you have to tell your your spouse on your wedding night. And I was this man thinking, um, excuse me, Pastor, those sound like selfish reasons to me, too. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I have no problem with telling people they might feel bad about something. Yeah. But don't guarantee that they will, mm-hmm. and that, and don't make that the basis of your argument for right. morality. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a consequential thing because now, yeah, I feel real bad. I more than feel bad, but that wasn't inevitable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have books by feminists out today that are celebrating their abortions, yeah. and I hope they feel bad one day, but they might not. And we've got this whole culture built around the old songs that it can't be wrong if it feels so right. Right, exactly. So I think we need to make our case mm-hmm. on um, on on logical grounds and um, changing changing people's. Um, when I say hearts, it sounds like again I'm going to emotion, but I think we know that that's yeah. you know metaphorical yeah. term. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's where. We need to appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the pro-life movement makes a lot of mistakes when it appeals to emotions and also when they rely too much on law. Law yeah. isn't going to change this. Changing mm-hmm. people's minds is going to. Abortion could be 100% legal tomorrow, but if we make it, as one article I posted today on Facebook argues, if we make abortion unthinkable, it doesn't matter whether it's legal. Mm-hmm. And also, when we talk about appealing to emotions, I think that could also be seen as an insult to women, because usually it is seen that women do tend to be more emotional, and men do tend to be for more logical thinkers and such, but it's not always that way, and women have heads on their shoulders, too, and they're capable of thinking about the issues. Yeah, I think it's an infidelization of mm-hmm. women, as I said before. I think, you know, we've, we've got to treat everybody as responsible adults mm-hmm. that are ethically responsible for their decisions, no matter how they feel about it. Now, let's go to your abortions that you had. Now, when you were in this state where it was becoming apparent you were pregnant and you were going to have a baby, so you need to have an abortion, as you thought at the time, did you have anyone trying to talk you out of it? Nope. Not a single person, not even my mother. Did you know any Christians at the time? Um, No. I, no I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I I didn't, mm-hmm. and my mom wasn't wasn't pro life. Mm-hmm. Um, she was kind of one of what I think the majority of people in this country are. I know a lot of people disagree with me on this, but and this is anecdotal. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority of people in this country are pro choice when it comes to the law and pro life when it comes to their personal ethics. Could you explain what you mean by that? It's the type of person who says, I wouldn't have an abortion. I think it's wrong, but I can't tell someone else what to do. It's kind of the attitude we have today of, who am I to judge what someone else is doing? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think, actually, pro-life people and personal ethics is the vast majority. Mm -hmm. I know we feel like we're in the minority, Mm -hmm. but I think sometimes when we're also talking with people, it helps to separate out the law from ethics. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they aren't always equivalent, mm-hmm. and they can't always be equivalent. Because even, and I'm not trying to get too much into politics or anything like that, yeah. even though I'm pro-life, I, 
I do not, and some pro-life people are going to hate me for this, do not think it's feasible to think we are ever going to have first trimester abortions illegal in this country. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I concentrate my efforts in changing people's minds because it won't matter if something is legal if people just don't do it. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking to use a lesser example that many of us, when we're driving, we can see what the speed limit is, but how many people really make a conscious effort and say, ooh, I'm going to stay under the speed limit, where maybe they do and their GPS says, policeman up ahead, and then all of a sudden everyone starts breaking, but until then it's like, yeah, I see where it is. Don't really care. Yeah. I'm driving safe. So I, I just believe pragmatically in focusing mm. our efforts where it's going to do mm. The most good. I think where we will get laws passed mm-hmm. is 20 weeks and above. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality: that really is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that is a drop in the bucket, and mm-hmm. I think I think we will be successful mm-hmm. um, because I think it's monstrous mm-hmm. that that's legal in this country, and I think. Yeah. Most people, when they think about it, will agree. But the vast majority of abortions happen in the first trimester. Mm. I may be overly pessimistic, but I don't think the law is going to change on that. And even if it did, I don't think juries would ever convict people of that. So rendering it unenforceable. So I think we need to concentrate more on just changing people's hearts. We don't need the state to tell us what is right and wrong. Which is, incidentally, the approach the early Christians took towards issues like slavery as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> that that's a whole other. Yeah. That's a, a a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. slavery shows us right there that the law can't can't be our ethical guide because slavery was a hundred percent legal. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been talking about the the first trimester. Abortions. Which period were you in with your abortion? Do you remember? Both of them were in the first trimester. I'd say eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And when you went to the clinic, did you you encounter any pro-life ministries along the way? You know, sometimes my memory, Mm -hmm. the first time, no. Mm -hmm. It was at a little Planned Parenthood, and it was, you know... These feminists, and okay, let let me just backtrack a little bit because mm-hmm. there's feminism and mm-hmm. there's feminism. Right. When I use the word feminism, I'm talking about the the ultra. Uh, you know, we know it when we see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even say I call it radical feminism. And then there's the other feminism, which to me is more humanism. And mm-hmm. I don't mean humanism as in not religious. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, the Earl. A lot of Christians in the medieval period considered themselves humanists. They didn't mean that yeah. as no God. They meant it as an equal rights and striving for peace. And that's how I mean it. Yeah. I believe women should have equal rights. Uh-huh. But I don't believe it in the way that modern feminism does. So I more consider myself a humanist in that regard. So I'm not putting down women when I'm talking about disparagingly mm-hmm. about feminism. I'm talking about a particular brand. Now, now that with that qualification... The feminists today love to tell us how compassionate abortion is and things like that. But let me tell you, at the first clinic, that it was at a Planned Parenthood clinic, that wasn't my experience. Mm-hmm. All they cared about was the money. Okay, mm-hmm. this is going to get a little bit graphic for some people. Okay, um, be, be, be prepared, people. If you've yeah. got small children, you might want to be careful. Yeah, well, I mean, it might not be that bad, but it, this is shocking hard truth. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom took me with my boyfriend. 
and it was what was called a twilight procedure. You might not be familiar with it. They offer you differing sedation levels. And I didn't have much money, so I kind of went for the bargain, and that's how I picked the Planned Parenthood uh, clinic. They were advertised in the uh, classifieds, you know. Mm -hmm. They had a deal going on, and um, halfway through, it was horrible, horrible agony. Mm-hmm. And I was screaming for something more for the pain. And the doctor was basically yelling back at me, you didn't pay for that. Do you want me to stop? Do you want me to stop halfway through? I mean, it was brutal. And um, the nurse ran out and got my mother, and my mother put up some more money to get me out of pain. Oh, gosh. You know, it, it's one of those things that I, I'm not even sure what to say at this point. I, 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 I can't think of a doctor screaming. Like it would, and this is Planned Parenthood that gets our federal tax money. Yeah. Now the second clinic um, was different. They mm-hmm. were actually very kind and compassionate. Uh-huh. So I can't say all of them were like that. But the second one was a private place. It's actually the I don't know if it still is, but it was the biggest abortion clinic in Fort Lauderdale. I think it was called like the Women's health center anyone who's familiar with fort lauderdale florida will know right there in the commercial by federal the pro-life protesters are always out there so at, this is leading back to your question i'm sorry talking to me is like hurting a cat um there were probably pro-life protesters outside the clinic at that time mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm conflating my memory of that visit with going by there to my job on a daily basis and always seeing them out there and my activities as one of the pro-choice abortion clinic defenders out there. So I don't know if I'm mixing up memories, but the chances are pretty likely they were out there when I went Mm -hmm. for the second one. Now, let's suppose you had seen them out there when you went to see your second one. Would you have been thinking about interacting with them, or would you just be having your mind going, like, oh, a bunch of religious kooks out here? Um, That would have been... um, that would have been my um the the religious kook mm-hmm. um when when I was participating in on the pro choice side into being outside a clinic i once i can't remember the exact wording of the sign, so this is going to be somewhat uh it just may be close and not exact, but I stood behind the religious person with a sign over their head with an arrow pointing down saying something like nutty fanatic mm. That that really doesn't help anything, you know. But you know, but but some of the tactics you know used by the pro life side it also are not things that I think are particularly productive. There was a clinic that I was at on the pro choice side, and what the pro some of the pro lifers would do is they 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 pulled their truck up to the the back of the clinic and blasted lullabies at full volume on their car stereos. Uh, that that's just that's going to harden people into hatred against you. That mm-hmm. you, you might get some kind of satisfaction out of that and be like, you know, woohoo! But you're not helping any babies that way. So it sounds like not only did you go to these clinics to get abortions, but you also went later on just to stand up for women who were going to get an abortion. Yeah, I, I was a I was one of those feminists that I now. Mm-hmm talking derogatory terms and I don't mean that in a um, loose way 
I mean, I attended now meetings. I met Patricia mm-hmm. Ireland. I had the now card in my mm-hmm. wallet. I had those blue, um, you know, now pro-abortion signs that we, I think everyone's pretty familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. you see in all the protests. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt pretty strongly about it so that I was out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be awkward for some of this, I'm sure, but tell us about going into the clinic and such. I mean, just getting things prepared. I mean, what all happens? Okay, again, we're talking a long time ago. Um, The one I remember more vividly is the one that was kinder. All I can remember of that first one was the really bad part because obviously you're going to remember that. They actually... um, you you go in, they do a pregnancy test, and they do an exam to try to determine how far along you are. They explain the procedure. They tell you how much, and you come back for your appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was given no information on alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that was their job. I'm just trying to give you yeah. facts now. At one point, I think I thought that was their job. And now I'm beginning to think, no, I'm advocating personal responsibility for women. You need to get educated. But I I don't know. This is an area that maybe I'm a little wishy-washy on. I'm willing to be corrected and learn. You know that. I change my mind constantly. Mm -hmm. But I I wasn't given information on um, alternatives. Uh, I wasn't given information on adoption agencies I may want to contact just to see what my options were. Mm-hmm. In fact, at the time, I was pretty ignorant that the, the the viability of adoption, and particularly I was, and I'm not, people please understand my heart when I say this, it's white babies are easy to to adopt out. I was a healthy you know, young white girl, and I wasn't told that, and I'm not encouraging, obviously, black people to have abortions, but here's the fact. There there would, would have been people lining up to adopt my baby. Mm-hmm. And not only that, they would have paid my expenses. And I didn't have that information, and I'm not so sure it's the clinic's job. I think it's our job. I didn't have the information that at that stage the fetus had a heartbeat. Mm. And people might start getting on my cases because I say baby instead of fetus. I'm not a scientific person. I'm not using the term a baby to evoke emotions. I just do it because it's convenient for me because I honestly don't know all the differences between all that medical terminology and it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. So... Just understand that I'm not trying to score any cheap rhetorical points by saying baby. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't really told about the level of development. I was kind of ignorant when it came to that. And um, I think as pro-lifers, we can do a better job at educating people to make educated um, choices. But here's one thing. These places, it's a business. They're not... You know, some of the people who get into that business might be in there for ideological reasons. They really think they're helping women. They think they're furthering women's rights. But the fact is, it's a bottom-line business. They're there to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're talking about this, also, I'm kind of thinking about uh, Abby Johnson's book right now that I read, Unplanned, about how she used to work for Planned Parenthood and 
was thinking she was doing so much good, and then one day it just all broke down. Yeah. And, again, my experience is anecdotal, but I have absolutely zero respect for Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. The one of them I went to, if, 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 the, the two, the one that wasn't getting the federal money, at least as far as I know. I, I could be wrong on that. As far as mm-hmm. I know, they weren't. Um, were by far the more compassionate, loving people. But, again, it also costs significantly more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you talk about uh, people being willing to adopt, and, of course, I don't think the Internet was around back then when you were having this, but I think today, even if some people were saying, hey, I'm thinking about having an abortion, we're just posting it online, like, say, maybe something like a Yahoo rants or something, you probably have pro-lifers immediately posting things, saying, I'll adopt, send it to me, I'll adopt. Well, part of the problem also is our adoption laws here in this country are can be really difficult, mm-hmm. and you know, and 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 pro and some prohibitions in place just don't serve us. And I think um, pro-lifers need to look in those areas too. And though abortion, whether abortion's right or wrong, I can say abortion's right. I can say abortion's wrong, and I have no other obligation in light of that truth claim to do anything more something is right or wrong no matter it doesn't matter if i'm willing to do anything more but if we really want to reach these people Mm. i think pro-lifers need to step up and i can't say i've done it I'm, i'm i'm just speaking here um need to step up and support the women who are choosing life mm-hmm and you, I think you've said it before on Facebook, that means more than just posting a meme on your Facebook page and saying, hey, I'm pro-life, because that's nice, but you're, you're not really doing much if you do that. I mean, you're doing more than nothing. Yeah. But if you have the means and you know a girl mm-hmm. that's thinking of abortion and she's in a desperate situation, mm-hmm. if you're not willing to open up your home, it's not going to mean as much to her. Right. And I'm not saying you can't say it's wrong, because it's wrong whether you're willing to do nothing. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to make a difference, actions speak Actions speak really loud. Now, when you were talking about also being just young and ignorant at the time, I, I think that really applies to so many people today, because I see so many who've think that because they're in college now, they already know everything, and you meet so many young people, especially on the internet, and my wife encounters this with me of her high school friends who seem to think they're already thoroughly informed on a whole lot of very difficult issues, and they don't even really know the first thing about what their opponents think and why. Yeah, you know, and Nick, that's a big problem in everything. Um, I used to be kind of dogmatic in that way, and I had my opinion, and I didn't want to interact with other people. But I think all of our opinions need to be held up for examination, including this one. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to articulate a solid defense, because you can't be going and telling people, what they should be doing with their lives if you don't really know and believe the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're uh, getting this abortion done, I mean, is 
Did did you get shown also anything? I'm seriously dumb. Anything like an ultrasound or such where you could actually see what was going on? Um, no, it was it wasn't offered. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, here's a place we may disagree, um, Nick. I don't know. There's been some laws put into place that mandate ultrasounds for women, and pro-life people laud that. And I don't. I don't think you can force an invasive procedure on a woman to to further your cause. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I at one time I, I would have not held this position, but on further reflection, I believe we really have to be consistent. Um, but no, I wasn't even offered it. I think it, it should be offered, mm-hmm. but it, it not mandatory. But no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't offered. I, I had no idea really, and I'm not blaming ignorance. Ignorance is self can be self cured. So people got to take responsibility for their own ignorance. But mm-hmm. I think we can do a great deal in informing people and in and in, in being willing to have this conversation with people. Because even though the lady you're talking to right now, she's not considering an abortion, but her niece might be. Mm-hmm. Now, when if you had had the opportunity to have an ultrasound and you had seen what was in your womb at the time, do you think that could have changed your mind? Hindsight's twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and the state of ultrasounds back then isn't what the state of ultrasounds is today. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my goodness, a coworker of mine was pregnant and she sent me a picture of her ultrasound. You could see the baby. I mean, you could mm-hmm. see he's going to look like his dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was amazing, and the technology yeah. wasn't back there. I can't say. Mm-hmm. Poss- possibly. Yeah. Possibly. And I think the further along you get, to be honest with you, Nick, I don't know what an eight-week ultrasound looks like even today. I'm mm-hmm. ignorant. I okay. don't know. Yeah, I, I can understand the advance of technology. Now I'm thinking about it. You probably know that shortly after Allie and I got married, I had a night where I just started screaming suddenly with stomach pains and it turns out I had issues with my gallbladder and so they'd have to have it removed and that involved me getting an ultrasound so they could see what was going on and yeah it was incredible how much detail there was and I remember joking with Alice saying you know I I never thought of the two of us I'd be the first one to get the ultrasound. Yeah I mean I I don't know what the technology was then Mm -hmm. Um, that was what Mm -hmm. I don't even know how old I am, Nick. I know I'm not 50, but I think I'm over 47, mm-hmm. so I stopped counting at 25. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, who knows? Now, the the procedure itself, the first one, it was really painful. You made that clear. How about the second one? The second one was very painful. Actually, abortion is not a walk in the park. Okay. Um, but having the first one in that terrible experience certainly wasn't bad enough to keep me from having a second one. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not it's not as casual as sometimes we pro-lifers want to make it too. It is a very traumatic experience. It's an extraordinarily painful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one was probably well, I mean, I had better drugs, but the support of the staff made it easier. Um, but it's 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 certainly not a walk in the park. Did you pay more the second time? Yeah, I paid more the second time because I remembered the first time, and I didn't go back to a Planned Parenthood clinic. And in both cases, you knew the father each time. 
Um, yes. I was in a long-term relationship with the father the first time, and I was engaged to be married. I was my husband of 20 years mm-hmm. um, the, the second time. So that gives you uh, the, the year, 1989. 1989 would have been the year of my second one. Mm, that, that, that's putting things in perspective. I think uh, Allie was born in 1990, so I think I was thinking, wow, that's, uh, that's when it was. Now, um, did any uh, did the father in either case have any hesitation about what was going on either? Or? No, um, but it was something we discussed beforehand. And I mean, they entered the relationship knowing that. I mean, our negotiation, as it were, um, was the understanding that if mm-hmm. I ever got pregnant, I would have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're done with your abortions, they just pretty much, I'm guessing, give you some medication or a prescription, send you out the door, and that's it? I don't think I got any medication. Mm-hmm. And at the Planned Parenthood clinic, it was pretty much, yep, go on home. Um, at the Women's Health Center one, uh, they le- they kept you there until they thought you were ready to go home. And somebody had to be there to drive you home. There was like a a recovery room as it were, and you were there for a couple hours. Do you remember how long it took you before you were able to resume normal activities again? Next day. Okay. Now, when you've had all this going on here, and pretty much you said you became a Christian, I think, 28 or 29, so for about... I became a Christian in 1996. So that would have been seven years, yeah, yeah. Uh, or 97, you know, me and Eight Dave. Eight years later. Yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I know you're off with dates, and that's it comes to 70 AD or the 70 weeks of danger, and then you're <laughs> right on top. <laughs> then, I, then I know them. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, a joke that I've heard about N.T. Wright's classes, that when he starts talking about the Great War, they, the students always have to ask, is he talking about World War II or 70 AD? Yeah. <laughs> Now, so you've gone through all this, and you haven't had any guilt whatsoever, probably not even really thinking about it, right? No, I I can't say I did. And Mm -hmm. I know some people find that difficult and Mm -hmm. harsh, but... Uh, that's, that's just, that's just the reality. I didn't really think about it until I became a Christian. Yeah, we, we can often live with our presuppositions, think of how we feel and think as a Christian, and too often think the rest of the world thinks the exact same way, because, I mean, we can't think of any other way you could think about this issue, and that's just not the case, is it? Um, no, and particularly in our, uh, sociological climate. I mean, and that that that's how we're mm-hmm. teaching young women to think. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not the case either that because you were doing this, I mean, like you were some like cold, heartless person necessarily. I mean, we have cases today of women having babies and dumping them in dumpsters and moving on. But my guess is. I mean, if you found a baby in dumpster, you probably done everything you could to get to a hospital or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't a Christian. I mean, and we know as Christians that nobody's really a quote unquote good person. Mm-hmm. But as society goes, I mean, I wasn't the best person, but I certainly wasn't a particularly bad person. Mm-hmm. I didn't go around 
you know, breaking laws or kicking puppies, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in a lot of ways I would have said I would go above and beyond. Yeah, if you found a baby, I mean, mm-hmm. who, who, who wouldn't help a baby? You'd have to be a monster. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say to people is that women who go through this and don't feel anything, you might think that's monstrous, but they're not monsters. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a very typical experience. Christians today, when I tell them, want to hear. This is what they want to hear afterwards. Mm-hmm. I felt awful, and I thought about this. And No, you mm-hmm. want to know what I felt afterwards? Only one thing, relief. Relief mm-hmm. that it was over. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I believe in being real, and I'm, that, that's real. And you and I disagree on soteriology, doctrine of salvation, and such. But I think yeah. we would both certainly agree on this point that this is just how great sin affects us. That we don't, that we we've had our minds so seared when we're in that state that we can do things that are very unspeakably evil and not even think about them. That is true. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it brings up a, a different angle to this issue, though, where mm-hmm. we're we're, we're Two Christians talking primarily to other Christians. But I think Christians need to familiarize themselves with the secular and even atheistic arguments in favor Mm. of pro-life. Christians aren't the only people that are pro-life. There are atheist pro-life groups out there. There are secular pro-life groups out there. And I think we need to work hard to make common cause with this. Mm -hmm. I posted an article the other day from this pro-life atheist who spoke about how ostracized Mm -hmm. he was whenever he tried to participate in pro-life things because the majority were Christians and they just made him feel like dirt. Mm -hmm. And that's not... We need these allies. I, I remember you saying something once on a theology web. I think it was to Ken Puriam, and he's uh, since passed on. But he was an atheist who was pro-life, and you were saying that you support that, which I do, and saying that you think if you were an atheist, being pro-life would be the most consistent position you could have. Well, I think so because, um, I mean... Here's the thing. I'm, on a lot of positions, you could probably make good cases on both sides, but I, yeah. I think we, people are going to think I'm really going off the rails here with, with an unrelated subject, but take Islam. Uh-huh. The terrorists make these certain arguments mm-hmm. that you can support from the Hadith. You mm-hmm. can pick this and you could pick that. And then you have Muslims, the vast majority of Muslims, mm-hmm. who, who make convincing, compelling arguments for peace. I don't think we have to arbitrate between these three groups. I think we're obliged to support the people that are arguing for peace. Mm-hmm. And the same way, we don't have to arbitrate between these competing atheistic views. We need to promote the one that is in favor of life. Mm-hmm. I, I had a friend, in fact, just a few days ago on Facebook tell me that he was in debate with someone saying that that there aren't women out there who are pro-life. It's all, it's all men. And I said, well, he just needs this in my show. And fine, there are several guests out coming on who are like that. And then I, in fact, sent him a link to the Secular Pro-Life Alliance. So they take a look at this. And, whoa, I open up the page. And what's the first image I see? A woman up there speaking. Like, yep. These, these groups are out there. We need support from them. 
Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, in my personal just life experience, again, cheerily anecdotal, most of the pro-life people I know are women. Mm-hmm. Men tend to think that they don't have a right to an opinion in mm-hmm. this, and they, they, they've been cowed into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it was Greg Kokel, or it might have been back with, the, the answer we have to ask ourselves, except for in certain philosophical circles, for most people, it isn't an issue of can a woman do what she wants with her own body. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that people can do what they want with their own body. And again, not meaning to go off on a rabbit trail, Nick, you know, but you know I'm going to be honest and out there. Mm-hmm. I believe that more than most liberals do. Because as you know, politically, I'm a libertarian, which means I believe if you want to go put heroin in your body, you have the right to do that. So I obviously believe in the right of a woman to do what she wants with her body. But the thing is, you can't use your body to hurt another person. Mm-hmm. So the question here is, what is the unborn? And right. and we need to answer that question. And men, as, as I said on Chris Date's show, my favorite saying, and the thing that got to me, that the one sign or slogan that when I was outside of abortion clinics as a pro-choice person that ever affected me from all these religious people was a guy walking around with a t-shirt that said, as a former fetus, I object to abortion. And that seems silly, but that stuck with me. What's this been, 30 years? And Mm -hmm. that stuck with me because Mm -hmm. I too, as a former fetus, I too object to abortion. And in that respect, men as former fetuses also have every right to, to object to abortion. When we make this merely about the woman's body, I think we're, we're, we're missing the greater issue. Because once we decide if the, if the unborn is a human being with the same natural law, I'm, I'm arguing from a secular perspective even right here, right. rights to protection, um, then it's not just the woman's body. Then mm-hmm. you have to argue, do you have the right to use your body to kill someone else and that's where you can you you have to deal with these these arguments and some people will actually concede that it is a human being but they argue that the woman's right to liberty with her body trumps the fetus's right to life and that is a clash and you you we 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 have to see here's another problem with pro-lifers in one respect nick is we don't respect the strengths of the opposing person's point of view. Mm -hmm. I don't think we will be effective pro-life activists or apologists or however you want to refer to yourself if you don't recognize the strength of the bodily autonomy argument. It is a strong argument, and you have to be able to defeat that. One uh, point that I've made repeatedly is that uh, when we look at the reasons women have abortions, Many of these reasons we'd agree with. See, I'm not ready to be a parent. I'm not financially stable. It's, I want to go and have a career. And many of those, we look and say, you know, those in themselves are good things. You should want to be financially stable. You should want to be ready to be a parent when you have a kid. And you should want to, if you want to have a career, that's fine. I mean, not every woman wants to have a career, but if you want to, that's fine. And we have to realize these are good reasons why women want abortions, but it doesn't mean the abortion itself is a good thing. Yeah. Um, 
except in cases of rape in which this argument wouldn't apply. But again, those are very rare. Yep. Um, the, the, the woman used her body in a consensual way that brought a, a, a third party into this equation, the, mm-hmm. the fetus. That third human being had no choice or consent to be entered into this. You just made, through your consensual actions, another human being helpless and dependent upon you. You have an obligation then to that life that through no fault of its own is helpless and dependent upon you. Mm -hmm. And that's the secular argument that you can make in favor. Now, I obviously could add all kinds of theological arguments to that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's the way atheists or secular non-Christian persons um, would argue. And, and if you were an atheist, imagine, um, you, you think that you're here just from the luck of the draw. There's a unique being that is never, ever going to be brought into existence again. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a sobering thought. But we also can't discount the weight of the other side in which they say, do you realize how psychologically and physically traumatic a pregnancy can be? Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know what? Unless you were raped, you took, that's a risk you took. We all know how babies are made. Yeah. And you be a responsible adult. The same responsibility you're showing where you're not financially ready, you have too many children, you don't want to be a mother. Then if you really have decided that you never want to have children, then you should get yourself sterilized. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can't kill another person because of that. And, and yeah, birth control does fail, but it is pretty darned effective. We like okay. talking about these exceptions, yeah. but... Mm-hmm. The vast majority of abortions mm-hmm. would be prevented by people being responsible for birth control. And here's also where Christians and pro-lifers shoot themselves in the foot. And I'm going to make enemies with this statement. Nick, and you might not agree, but our opposition to birth control sometimes, and some Christians do oppose birth control, is, is costing lives. Mm-hmm. And the scientific fact is the Plan B pill is not an abortifacient. Our opposition to this is costing lives. Mm-hmm. And you may disagree here, yeah. but science is science. It, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's pretty certain. And let's say there is a tiny chance. You want to know what? There is a tiny chance of a woman who wants a baby when she hops out of bed and runs to the bathroom might have done something to dislodge it. Do we have the obligation to ensure 100% implantation? I mean, we have to be live in this real world. Mm-hmm. You tell a woman who gets raped that she can't even take the Plan B bill the next day, you're really putting yourself in an impossible situation there and arguing your case. Now, I know... Many, many Christians disagree with me. The owners of Hobby Lobby would disagree with me. But you're here for for my particular pro-life activist point of view, and that's it. I think birth control needs to be widely available across the counter. Now, when it comes to also with talking about how we need to make a secular case, I think most pro-life ministries do this. You see this, I'm sure, from Life Training Institute and others, because too often I see... Christians on message boards, like say under 
a, a news article, they have comments, and it could be on any issue such as homosexuality, abortion, or anything like that. And all they're doing is quoting Bible verses. And I say, look, guys, I'm glad you know your Bibles, but really, you're embarrassing us, right? Embarrassing us right now because anyone who's a non-Christian is going to look at and say. Yep, just a bunch of religious kooks who only do what their holy book tells them. And by the way, do you know what your book says about shellfish? Yeah, and you know, quoting Bible verses. Okay, there's a time and a place for that for unbelievers because yes, you know, the Bible does teach us that God's word will not return void. And, you know, we can use his word to convict of sin and instruct in righteousness. True, true, true. Amen. Preach it, brother and sister. But... If we can make cases that don't rest on that authority to secular people, we need to make those cases because they don't find it authoritative. And really, and in quoting them and allowing them to discount them in a way we're bringing judgment upon them. I think we need to be be cautious in our our approach and, and very, very tactical. But quoting a Bible verse at a non-believer who's considering an abortion isn't isn't going to save that baby unless God okay I'm getting in I'm a Calvinist I can't yeah, help that's it fine. unless God regenerates chooses to regenerate that person I'm yeah. sorry it, it, I'm, I'm hopelessly reformed Nick it, it's it's okay you know I'm not going to really debate on that point it's an issue I stay away with but hey it, it's fine but you, you know, know I don't debate it either by the <laughs> yeah but you know it's it means no more to them than, say, if a Muslim comes to me and starts quoting the Quran. Yeah, why should I care? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to take a break. Go, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Nick. You know that I'll just go on and yeah. on. And so go yeah. right ahead. I, I know our T Web staff is that we need to go and plan some about. Oh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> but. I'd like to remind everyone that right now you are listening to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters. My guest is my good friend, Dee Dee Warren, and we're talking about her experience with abortion. But if you're listening next week, I'm going to have Dave Sterrett on. He's written a book called Aborting Aristotle about how he's got a metaphysical argument saying we need to return to the thinking of Aristotle in order to argue why abortion is wrong. We're going to be talking about that book next week. Now, let's move on, Edie, to your Christian experience. Now, it probably wasn't that the moment you walked down the aisle and then became a Christian and then got baptized that all of a sudden you thought, oh my gosh, I had an abortion. But eventually it did kick in, didn't it? Well, it actually did happen quite away, um, qu- quite quite right away. Mm. Um, well, I kind of approached Christ- Christianity the way <laughs> I know some of the analogies that come up with are really wacky, like an alcoholic approaches, you know, the the, the steps to recovery. Um, I immediately, when I realized what a rotten sinner I was, um, immediately went back to say, who did I wrong? I need to make amends. And that's when that came up, that, you know, I wronged those two children. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a, when you became a Christian, you were married at the time to the, the father of the second baby. Yes. Did he become a Christian too? He did later on, but he never came to terms with repenting of the abortion decision. Now, I'd like to go back to uh, something that you said just a while ago in discussing this, because now we're going to try and get into kind of a more pastoral therapeutic side in dealing with things here. But you were talking about... Uh, 
women who aren't ready to be a mother. And some of that you said on Chris Date's show at time really stuck with me. And I've used it since then. It's that the question isn't, are you ready to be a mother or not? The thing is, you're already a mother. Yeah. Um, people say this is about reproductive rights. And, okay, yeah, I know there's a lot of semantical games, but really, after you're pregnant, it isn't about whether you're going to reproduce. You've already reproduced. So what I've said before is the question isn't whether you're going to be a mother or not. You're already a mother. The question is whether you're going to be the mother of a dead child or a living one. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that's the crucial issue. There was, there was a meme going around Facebook the other day. You might have seen that I posted where a pro-choice lady um, was out holding a sign saying, keep your rosaries off my ovaries. And the response that was posted underneath it is spot on. I don't have rosaries. I don't care about your ovaries. I just don't want you to kill anyone. Hmm. And that's really the issue. And, and that actually, that, that that's a secular answer right hmm. there. Right. Now, when we, we come to this kind of thing, I, I remember posting what you'd said on Facebook a while back where I said if you have an abortion question isn't if you're a mother or not quite the thing is you're a mother you've just you're just guilty of killing your own children and I remember someone saying to me well um do you think this is going to help any women from a pastoral perspective you know it's a tough issue but Mm -hmm. again we, we we were talking before about the infantilization of of women. Mm -hmm. I think if we respect women as Mm -hmm. adults and uh, and moral agents, Mm -hmm. we don't coddle them in language Mm -hmm. that disguises the truth of what we believe. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a time and a place. I don't believe it's proper to stand outside abortion clinics and scream murderer at people. Some people think that's effective. I don't, not if your goal is to save children, it's not. Um, but when you're dealing one-on-one with a woman, um, I, I don't, as a, now we're, we're getting into Christian here, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think you're doing her a service by painting it in other language. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to throw the term murder around and I don't really murder's a legal term in our society and it really doesn't fit that. I, I, I know some pro lifers would disagree with me. But it is killing. Even pro choicers admit that it is killing. So I think that there is absolutely no problem and is very healing. Mm-hmm. When you repent, you have to repent of something specific. Mm-hmm. And a woman who has abortion has was complicit in the killing of her children. Uh, what legal term we want to call that, that, that has nothing to do with, with repenting before God. Mm-hmm. But um, some of the fluffy terms we use, I think, can inhibit killing. On Chris Date's show, I talked about, I used to be involved in Vieta Cristo, and a lot of pastoral one-on-one, it's a women's retreat, so a lot of women getting real with other women. And... Nick, I'm holding it together. <laughs> I'm barely. I know. Um, this one lady, she had never told anyone. And it was, I think, 30 years or something before. And the w- other women at the table were pretty much rebuking me, A, for bringing it up, and B, for being honest and real. And um, 
she really got something out of the fact that I was just willing to be, okay, let's talk life. Let's talk about what really happened. And then healing could begin. She didn't want to be told you did the best you could. She didn't want to be told, well, you know, it was the best decision for you right then. You, you had two other kids or whatever the situation may be. She wanted to be able to acknowledge what she did and move on. Now, some Christians will say, that's holding on to your sin and you can't beat yourself up continually. Yeah, that's true, but you can't let go of your sin until you acknowledge it. Adultery mm-hmm. is not an affair. You, right. It's adultery. You cheated. You broke your vows. It wasn't a slip. It wasn't an accident. And we have to be just as real with abortion. Mm-hmm. It, it could be that in many cases, until we know just how real and wicked the sin is, we can't know how incredible and awesome the grace is that forgives it. Exactly. I mean, I so uh, I, in defense of your friend's comment, perhaps Facebook wasn't the place to post that, but there is a time and a place to say that. And mm-hmm. some Christians believe it's never the time or never the place. And I, I can't get behind that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't go around posting stuff like that all the time. Mm-hmm. But in one-on-one conversations with women, a lot of times I do, and I find that... Um, they're 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 relieved in being able to be honest and and um, here's something else I discussed on Chris State's program that I think it's um, beneficial to bring here because it doesn't only have to do with abortion. When you're in a pastoral situation, even with friends, I'm not talking about officially being a pastor because obviously I'm not a pastor. Right. Um, with other Christian people, and you start talking about sins and burdens, I it's called giving the gift of going first. And what that means is, why don't you start? And when you start, don't confess something stupid like, I don't read my Bible as much as I should. You know, oh my God, I can't, Mm. you know, and I know some Christians probably just got offended. I said, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I don't Mm. believe that's blasphemy, but I don't want to offend anybody. But um, don't do that. Tell them the real stuff that's gone on in your life. Say, I go home and I masturbate to internet porn. You know, give the gift of going first and being real about your sins. Mm-hmm. Sorry if that was a little too graphic, but this is life. You know, I, I can honestly say that when I've heard a pastor from a pulpit just be open and front about some of the attitudes and struggles that he has, that has always been a comfort to me, to know that a lot, many times when I see the heroes in my life, the very people that I look up to most, and I see them talking about their failures and struggles, that that always speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, in my later walk as a Christian, I've given up trying to be this holy paragon. Um, in some ways, I think I've taken it too far in the other direction, and my language has gotten a little bit too raw, which you've probably seen on Facebook, and I'm working mm-hmm. on toning that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I believe that we put on a plastic act to people, and it's not genuine. And that's one thing I love about Scum of the Earth Church. Um, we didn't discuss this on the air, but that's currently where I'm attending church now. I encourage everyone to look up their website in Denver. Um, a lot of Christians will be offended, and um, 
I think we, we need to start jarring our sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nick, forgive me if this is inappropriate for your show. You don't take responsibility for your guests, but like the pastor at Scum of the Earth, the first time we went there. I know what you're going to there, say, and I, I'm going to let it go, okay? Go ahead. Okay, go. yeah, the pastor got up there, and he started his sermon by, last week Jesus kicked my ass. And most Christians would be like, oh, but you know what? That guy was real. He's like, baby, Jesus makes you happy at Christmas. But let me tell you something right now. In this passage, Jesus is going to make you miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's too often we've tamed the line of Judah and turned him into a pussycat. Yeah, and we, we don't attract people. I've got more non-Christian friends and stuff now who will listen to what I say because... I don't pretend like the sign of holiness and sinfulness is that profanity doesn't slip out once in a while. Yes. And I'm doing more to try to... I think I'm doing more now than I did when I was the, you know, the caricature of the Christian. Yeah. And I think that's too much, too much of what the church is doing. And can you go too far the other way? Of course. Yeah, what I've uh, said for is that too often many Christians live in these nice little safety bubbles where they go and just give each other pats on the bats and accent. Usually these safety bubbles are called churches or sometimes small groups and we just isolate ourselves and when we do that we can't impact the culture. We can't fulfill the Great Commission at all. No, and, well you know what I call them. I call them the Christian ghettos. And yep. we love our Christian ghettos, don't we? And our mm-hmm. Testament gum and, you know, <laughs> whatever the, the newest fad is that that's going around. Yeah, we had a, that, that when the last church we went to before we went to this one that we're at now and that we thoroughly enjoy. And I encourage everyone to check the website at the Point Knox. That's where we go. And anyway, there was a small group going on. It was just me that night. I was home for some reason. I don't remember where it was, but I was the only one of us that went. And we were talking about evangelism, and everyone started talking about their testimonies over and over. And I was this man, you can imagine, I was internally starting to freak out a bit at this. Because I think, oh gosh, I see where this is going. And so I started telling people, said, you know, it's great that you have this, but you, you're going to need to have a little bit more because someone can come up to you and say, you know, that's great. I, I'm glad you found something that works for you, but it's not for me. And then you're not going to have anything to say. And I was getting ready to go on, and I just got cut off. And yeah, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. You 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 know how I feel on that subject, and actually, yeah. th- that's kind of a, a lot of how theology web was run. I mean, we were both in staff and privy. You know the types of conversations I had with staff behind the scenes, and you know what oh, I'm yeah. saying to you now is perfectly consistent with the way I ran that site. Yeah. And I think that's that's what what we need to um to 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 strive for. Yeah. A lot more a lot more actual engagement rather than shouting down or silencing people. Like for instance at T Web, you know, we had some people who were just outright racist yeah. and outright misogynist. And you know, some people were like, Well you should ban them. I'm like, why? If their ideas are bad counter their ideas you can't ban bad ideas out of existence and the same thing with christians you the 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 dirtiest word in christianity is doubt Mm -hmm. but you but we've got to deal with that you you try raising doubts or questions you have or start you know questioning 
Um, mm-hmm. even orthodoxy, and you know I'm fully orthodox. Oh yeah. And people run away. We mm-hmm. can't do that. And mm-hmm. the same thing, you know, in in the issue we're discussing here. I think this is all very related. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about doubt, uh, something about our church, and I've said this on several episodes, so you might not, but you might not know about this, is that our church meets in a movie theater, and so we have announcements come up on the screen before the service, and like after the music and such, and one of them is, if at any time during the service you have a question, just get out your phone, and here's a number, text in your question to this number, and we will come out at the end and we will answer your question. And it is such a simple move, and it is so incredible. And some of the pastors say, you know, this is a big, in-depth question. I can't go into it here, but this week I'll make a webisode of me answering it so you can go and you can watch that and think that is the kind of thing the church needs you need be you can come here you can express any question you have and that's also a good way you can do it anonymously and still get the answer you need yeah i think that's fantastic nick mm-hmm. and but you want to know what's also fantastic too and i, I bet your pastor does this sometimes mm-hmm. you have to say i don't know uh-huh yep, yep. i'm not god yeah. I don't know. And you want to know what? Mm. I could be wrong. Mm. Fancy that. I could be really wrong. There's some things I said today in the show today. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Challenge me. Yep. I think you also said for that, I actually do some of the writing for the church and such and help out. And I said, I think this is incredible because I'm not trying to pump myself up when I say this. You know me, I'm not that kind of person who does that. But a lot of pastors, I think, could look at someone like me and say, hmm, seminary educated, knows his Bible well, reads constantly. This guy could embarrass me some. Because, you know, the pastor can often feel like he has to know more than anyone else there. And I'm not claiming to know more than my pastor. My pastor knows a whole lot, and I know there are many areas he could run circles around me. But what I'm saying is he was able to look at me and say, guy who knows a lot, knows his Bible where seminary train, that's for them to work here. Yeah, and we, we can be threatened by the, the, the power um, mm-hmm. the power dynamic. Uh, here's something that you might not know this. You would find this um, entertaining because, um, am I correct, you used to work for CRI, did you not? Yep, I did. Okay. I um, Hank came and spoke at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And in one respect, I'm kind of embarrassed about this. I used to, I used to be quite the zealot in some of my views where I just, I would corner teachers and mm-hmm. be like a rough, rough, like a dog, just at them. And I, I think I know where you're going. Let's go. <laughs> I was kind of like that with Hank. And um, the, the subject was young earth creationism, which I really ah. don't hold to the zealousness that I used to, but I used to be quite zealous about it. Mm. And there was a question and answer thing afterwards. He was answering questions and, and someone else stood up and um, started asking him questions. And, he looked around and he po- and he looked for me in the audience. He goes, "Why don't you go ask her? She knows more about it than I do." Wow. <laughs> that was like, and I like respected. It. I thought it was funny too mm-hmm. because he was like, "Oh no, not another bulldog." Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've got to be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Why don't you go ask that person? They know more about it than I do. <laughs> yeah. Well. At this point, it's a little bit earlier than I normally do, but we're getting into more personal stuff here. So I'm going to uh, let everyone know that what you're you're hearing right now 
it's all listener supported, supported by people like you. And I really encourage you to give. And in fact, if you're wondering, we've got a new place you can go to. Normally you could go to deeperwaters.wordpress.com and click the donate button. But now we've got a website set up. It's in a nascent stage. We're we're still working on still doing some things with it. I owe my thanks to Darius Brock, who's doing an incredible amount of work. He stayed up all night before working on website. Not because I told him to, because he wanted to. He set this all up on his own because he wants to get this stuff out there. So you can go to deeperwaters.ddns.net and there is a support page there. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Now the way this works is you click on the link. The first one where it says donations can be made at this link. You click on that. That will take you to Risen Jesus, the ministry of Mike Lacona, my father-in-law. And you can make a donation there. And then you email me, apologianick at gmail.com. And there's a way to email me on the website. Or you email Debbie Lacona and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they will make sure we get taken care of your donation will be tax deductible and if you can be a monthly partner that would be even better and also there's a link to books that I've written or co-written on Amazon one of the latest ones I'd like you all to know about is the one uh, A Creed for the Ages my look at the Apostles Creed which I wrote because my church regularly recites the Apostles Creed I want everyone to have a have that information there and of course, I'm also pleased with an older one of the Defining Inerrancy that J.P. Holding and I co-wrote together with uh, dealing with Norman Geisler's critique of the My Father-in-Law Again. I encourage you to get that one as well. And at the uh, WordPress site, there is also an Amazon store that you can go to. I think that actually is at the Deeper Waters, ddns.net site. As where, and you can buy books that you hear about on the show. And if you're going to buy them anyway, buy them through that link, and we'll get a small proceeds of what you purchase that way. Any one of these would be really helpful, and we'd really appreciate it. And also, uh, like Didi, it makes me really happy when you leave iTunes reviews of uh, <laughs> of my show. Uh, there aren't many, so please uh, leave some more people. Let me know what you think. And do you, do you have any organization that you'd like to encourage people to support? Well, um, not anyone that I'm particularly involved with, but I, I think Christians who care about pro-life issues and children need to get on board to help support the ones that are here. I used to be, and I will be starting again, um, was a long, long time supporter of Compassion International. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing something like that, you're not really putting your money where, where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone, just just saying yes for, for, for my opinion. I'm not presently involved in any sites or ministries or anything. There's right. absolutely nothing I could ask for for myself. Mm-hmm. But if you care about children, do something for children. Mm-hmm. On a little side note, though, can you tell us about something that we'll support yourself some. Can you tell us a little bit about when your book will be coming out? Do you have any idea? Well, it's done. It's completely um, written and, edit- and edited. Um the there there were 
four people about, and I don't want to say their names in case they decline. I'm not trying to put them on any kind of um, pressure trip, but I asked to endorse the book, and they need time to read it. Mm -hmm. It's just on one chapter, and it's 260 pages because I can be long-winded. So um, till April is when these persons said they would need. So it's sitting, waiting for potential endorsements. When those come in, I'll be submitting it to Zulon Press, Mm. And their time frame is about 90 to 120 days to print. Okay. So if you go to April, I'm bad with math, and hopefully you are in Ottawa at 120 in days. July and August. July and August. Yeah, so that's about when it will when it will be out. But it's done. Yeah. So oh. the, all it's waiting on is um, some potential endorsements from people who are already pretty familiar with my work. So, mm. you know. Yeah. And we will be hoping to have you back on to talk about that when it comes out. But for now, we need to get to this topic. When you're talking about guilt, it's good to confess. We all know that. And we need to confess when these things happen. But there are a lot of women who do struggle with guilt from the past with things they've done, shame they've experienced and such. And a lot of it can be with abortion. What's a woman to do who's struggling with this? Well, you know, Nick, it's as, as, as the same with any sin. Um, I, I, I think we have a, a Christian duty to, in faith, once we have repented, to let go. Because mm-hmm. we have to believe that Christ's death was sufficient for right. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, like, like, there's guilt and there's guilt. I, I'm not trying to be Bill Clinton here. Yeah. But you're obviously going to feel something i mean obviously when i was talking to you i still feel something oh yeah but but it's not the type of guilt where where you you have this burden if you still have the burden you're it's a disservice to the cross christ has Mm. taken that burden from you Mm. and it's one reason why generally i don't like to talk about this topic too much only because i'm not that person anymore um and but I do it to help other people. But mm. this isn't something I I dwell, a, you know, with, you know. Yeah. It's not a cross I carry with me every day. Christ has carried that already. Mm-hmm. But what do you do, suppose, like, if you're uh, scrolling through Facebook, let's say, and you see a picture one of your friends has put up, like, hey, we've had a baby. And then you have a reminder back come to you of, you could have had something like that also, and you kind of experience that little guilt that comes back again. What do you do when that happens, or if it happens? You know, Nick, we're being real. To me, that doesn't that doesn't particularly um, happen with me. Um, I'm not a particularly maternal person, mm-hmm. so I have to say I, I can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want children before. I didn't want children after I became a Christian either. Mm-hmm. I, my my feeling, my my motherly feelings, Christianity doesn't turn you into you know June Cleaver, right? Um, which, which is why I don't like arguing with people that you're going to feel bad because not not all women. I know we like to think that all women just you know, think babies are the most wonderful thing and they want a ton of them. Let me tell you something, Nick. Most people are shocked when they hear this. I've never held a baby in my life. And guess what? Mm. I have zero desire to ever <laughs> hold a baby in my life. Right. I'm, Christians don't like to hear They're like, oh, my, there's, mm. there's something wrong with you. Well, maybe there is. We're a fallen world. We all yeah. have something wrong with us. Maybe that 
That is. So I don't have to deal with with that. I, I get more emotional watching other women deal with it. But um, I, I I really think it's just the act of faith of giving it up. Yeah, I, I do know Allie wants to be a mother someday. And, you know, she looks forward to the baby aspect sometimes. For me, it's, well, that'd be good. But I'm just kind of thinking, yeah, it's, fine with babies. I'm waiting for a few years older when you can actually do things with them, you know. Yeah, when you can, when you can argue. When you can have theology discussions yeah. with them. Yeah. Their kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I trained my little first grader to go into school and give a cosmological argument and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you and I are a lot more alike like that. I think you and I are much more on the same not very mm-hmm. emotional wavelength, you know. Yeah. Now, when you, you have several that, I mean, you never completely forget this kind of thing and personally I think it'd be a very troubling if you ever did completely forget in some ways so when we say you need to just let things go that doesn't mean you completely forget about it and you never think about it whatsoever right yeah you know maybe I'm not communicating this balance very well mm-hmm. um, you, you don't forget but you don't carry the burden mm-hmm. um, There's the other extreme where sometimes in in Christian circles in general, um, Mm -hmm. a woman will bring up that they've had an abortion or, you know, they're talking about dealing with it or, Mm -hmm. "Ah, I'm not wording this well, but you also can't have a just get over it already attitude either. I mean, because once you're a Christian and you've accepted that this is a child that you have. You're dealing with a woman with a dead child. You're not going to tell someone who lost their one-year-old to just get over it already. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have that kind of attitude, I think you're betraying the fact that you really don't believe what it is that you profess. Mm-hmm. I believe that there are some pro-life people who believe it because that's what their church told them but they don't really believe it. Mm -hmm. And I encourage everyone to examine what do you really believe. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I wasn't as clear, in fact, earlier when I was using my Facebook example, but you you say you don't carry the burden anymore, but I'm sure there are still times, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but there could be times where you still remember and have a sense of guilt for a little bit. I mean, does that ever happen if it does? Oh, yeah, I mean, when I'm talking with, I mean, even in this conversation. Yeah. I mean, letting yourself be forgiven is, mm-hmm. is the ongoing process in the Christian life. Yeah. I'm constantly thinking about awful things I did. Mm-hmm. Not just that awful thing, which is a pretty yeah. big awful thing, but I'm thinking about awful things I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. What are some uh, things that we should do when women are in a church setting such, and they just say, it's not like, I had an abortion. And they're not saying in the sense of, yeah, I had an abortion. What are you going to do about it? They're saying in the sense of, I know I very screwed up and I did something wrong. What what should we be doing? We should be allowing them to take ownership of what they did mm-hmm. and not minimize it to, mm-hmm. to, like we want to do to protect their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, we should encourage open and honest repentance mm-hmm. and then give the assurance of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people need many, many times the assurance of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. If you minimize what someone has done, they 
maybe will not seek or don't feel the true level of forgiveness. I mean, we all like to say all sins are the same, but they're not. I do not need the same level of forgiveness for stealing a pencil than I do for being complicit in the murder of a child. Mm -hmm. Murder is not the word I tend to use anymore. In the killing of a child. Mm -hmm. Or in... You know, if you were a bully when you were younger, beating the crap out of uh, somebody because they they weren't as strong as you were. Mm -hmm. There are differing levels of sin, and we need to allow people to acknowledge, repent, and then receive the depth of the forgiveness. You're cheating them if you don't do that. Remember when Jesus said, um, he who has um, sinned much is forgiven much. Mm -hmm. And... A lot of times, I think some of us could be saying, I'm not sure what I'd say, but if you're in that in-person context, one of the best things to say at that time could be absolutely nothing. Just let the person cry out their tears or whatever it is they have to do. Actually, sometimes that's the best thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, a lot of times all someone really wants is someone to listen. Right. I mean, women, I think, intuitively know that more than men do. No offense. Men always want to fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a married man. I know I was as soon as Allie comes to me and says some sort of problem, she's going, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, this, this. And then, then later on, I remember, oh, wait, she probably wasn't interested in that right then. Yeah, and I think we can, mm-hmm. in our practical ministry, mm-hmm. Yeah. We can understand that. And a lot of times, I'm not saying men can't counsel women who have yeah. had abortions, but really, a lot of times, this really is where your female pastoral mm-hmm. team might be served best. Yeah. Because there are differences between men and women, no matter what the feminists tell us. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I make it a point that if a woman comes to me and she's struggling with some kind of issue or something, I'll say, talk to my wife. She knows this kind of stuff far better, and she's far better at helping you. And also, I do that in ministry as just a safety precaution for me. Because I I don't want to risk getting too involved in something, because I I know that's how mistakes start out. So I say, talk to my wife. She's better equipped, and she's she's got much more empathy than I do. (laughs) Yeah, well, there and. Women to women can can affect something mm-hmm. different than men to men can can affect. Right. And speaking of men, in fact, we also need to realize there can be men who will come to our churches who will struggle with this because they will look and realize, oh my gosh, I helped that uh, that girl kill a child back then. That men can also carry guilt from abortions. I actually think that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, more than we think. In mm-hmm. in Florida, before I moved out here, um, there, there there were some people who were involved in outside abortion clinic uh, mm-hmm. uh, protests, and they were telling me about this one where a lady was going in far enough along to know what she was carrying, and it was twins. <sighs> And he was outside basically screaming, don't kill our babies. Mm. Now, your healing process, it it really is a whole lot more than just confess, receive forgiveness, and move on. It took a lot of work. Can you tell us uh, what the process involved? 
Well, it is confess, mm. receive forgiveness, and then go forward in life. But it's also wash, rinse, repeat. Right. You might have to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may not sound like it just... If you notice, I get more upset now when I'm talking about what other people went through than what what I went through. I'm at peace with what I went through. Mm-hmm. I don't like to see pain in other people. Yeah. And that's the female empathy. I, mm-hmm. I don't like seeing other people in pain. And if I could use my experiences to help other people through their pain. Mm-hmm. But you, I got to where I am now by confess, receive forgiveness, um, make the most out of your, your, your the next minutes of your Christian life. Mm-hmm. If you feel the old burdens come back, confess, mm-hmm. seek mm-hmm. forgiveness, move forward in your Christian life. God saved you for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't know what that purpose is. Um, it, uh, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. And, but sometimes our purpose is we have this creaturely presumption sometimes that our purposes have to be this grand thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our purposes is just living a good Christian life and people you don't even know about mm-hmm. might be um, mm-hmm. affected. The people who've had the most effect on my life don't even know it. Right. But when you, you're you in this healing process, also, you didn't go through it alone. There were There were other groups of women that helped you out greatly, weren't there? Um, Nick, actually, no, not hmm. really. This I thought is you remembered you saying that, but okay. Well, I mean, maybe I did in one context, and mm-hmm. sometimes when we're talking, um, if, if there was something specific I said, I, I would love for you to bring it to my recollection. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't have many female friends anyway. I never have. Mm-hmm. I don't get along very well with women mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. So no, I didn't really have a group. I, I could say. Um, I never went to a church's like abortion care or mm-hmm. anything like that. To me, there's again, I'm going to offend people. There's nothing more horrifying than being stuck in a room of Christian women. That's just me. I don't go to the ladies' tea parties and the women's Bible study. I go to the apologetics conferences. <laughs> uh, um, you know, Allie joined me for my latest apologetics conference I went to in New Orleans, and yeah, she probably uh, agree with you on a lot of things with the uh, women issues. Since them, since she says women are usually such drama queens that they drive me crazy. And I'm just not the typical yeah. female. I just right. have different interests. I uh, mm-hmm. I deviate from the norm, and that's not saying there's anything wrong with the norm at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I didn't. Maybe online. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so much in person. I mean, I've had best female friends, and they knew. So maybe um, if, th- if that's who you're counting, I mean, I've had some great female friends, but like groups or specifically quote unquote Christian groups, I think they're great for some women. Yeah. The women who would normally go to the ladies' tea party and they find that nurturing yeah. for their soul, they would also benefit. I just, yeah. it's not me. Yeah. Well, I remember you mentioning at a tea web convention was you talk about Rachel's Vineyard. I think it was, for instance. Does that ring a bell? No, it doesn't. Um, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I've been involved with various ministries and sites. But most of the stuff I've been involved with, we're talking 15 years after the fact. I understood your question more to be mm-hmm. um, at the, you know, at the time of the realization. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I mean, maybe you're assigning a weight to something that I don't assign it to. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at the T-Web convention, we talked about a site and I'm really and, and a group that encouraged women um, to, in order to help them let go of their guilt it, to name their children. Mm-hmm. And I remember she, that now. Okay. Yeah. That, that is what I was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, some women find that incredibly healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- there are various steps to healing that a lot of different websites can, can help with. Mm-hmm. Um, too many, even the name. But some women do find that healing. And I think other women who might find that a little morbid shouldn't be judging these women if that's what they need to heal. Because um, a lot of women feel like there was this child that never saw the light of day, um, has no voice. And now it doesn't even have a name. Um, and they think that giving a name honors that child. And if that helps the female mm. heal, I'll go for it. And, and I think that's what we were talking about at T-Web. There's a site where um, women got tremendous healing mm. by, um, and if they could remember um, the, the, the day of the abortion, or they picked a random day that they used each year, just like the mother of a, of a one-year-old that might have lost your one-year-old, they may still celebrate that one-year-old's birthday or mm. some other important day. Now, mm. some women find that healing, and they, they, they feel as if that honors mm. the human being that was. Um, some people would find that extraordinarily morbid, and I would say yeah. that's a your mileage may vary thing. Yeah. And, of course, if a woman needs it, she should definitely go and see a good Christian counselor as well. Yeah, and, you know, those abortion care groups might mm-hmm. be incredibly healing for the vast majority mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. I think too often in the Christian church we can look down on people getting counseling, or dare I say it, medication oh you you know my feeling on that i'm right with you for certain issues and think you know you might not want to be dependent on things the rest of your life and you should strive to move to a point where you don't need these but there's no guarantee you're necessarily going to get there as long as you need them if they're there and they're helping you and it's not like you're becoming a drug addict or anything like that take it yeah i mean counseling and Okay, this might be another point of disagreement that you and I have, but maybe not. We'll find out, right? Okay. I'm not going to say anything shocking, so don't worry. Um, uh, secular psychology is not evil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, God gave um, uh, medical science, be it mental medical science or physical medical science, to mm-hmm. us as a blessing. And I don't have any issue with Christians going out there. Sometimes the most qualified counselor for them isn't this lay counselor trained at their local megachurch. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the most qualified counselor for them is, you know, gasp, shock, horror, a secular counselor mm-hmm. that can help them wor- work through their deals. When I was getting counseling for my divorce, I went for a year to a secular counselor and helped me worlds more than any Christian counselor did. Mm-hmm. because it, it, And they taught me things which actually I think are biblical, which mm-hmm. is boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's also a book that we've been recommended to read for some issues that we've had with other people before. I'm, I'm sure you're probably familiar with a book 
Oh no, both books are excellent. Yeah. But they they are specifically Christian books, but yeah. but um secular counselors can can teach you the same thing. Yeah. And you could go home and read the Bible and apply the the Bible things to yourself. We think sometimes that something is not good unless it's draped with the Jesus fish. And yeah. God owns this whole creation. Yeah. There is no separation really between the holy and the profane um as far as dominion, the dominion of God. Yeah. So, um just like you wouldn't only get your cancer treated by a Christian doctor. If you've got emotional troubles it doesn't have there, there's nothing mystical or, or that's something you know, you know you have to have the incense burning for and this is a big problem this is my other hobby horse Nick and you know it because I suffer from I have I haven't in years thank Jesus um, severe clinical depression and I've been on and off antidepressant medication and I've gotten the condemnation of the Christian world for yep. it yeah, and you know my wife takes medication for many issues, I'm sure, and I, I really think it's great that you two get along so well, and when you're talking about this with secular psychology, I really don't have a problem, and my mind's also been about how uh, the early church, they looked at people like Plato, Aristotle, and others, and said, hey, these are gifts to the church right here, Let, let's take them. And with secular psychology, I was even talking about this with a secular psychologist on Facebook, just a couple of days ago and said I don't have a problem with a lot of these things our truth is God's truth it doesn't matter where it comes from and you know Gary Habermas is a good friend of ours and I think he had a little something to do with our wedding you know maybe just <laughs> performing it and such but he 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 deals with doubt a lot and well, literally, he has a book called Dealing with Doubt. Yeah. And <laughs> Great that, book. My copy, what I've got of that, is the one you sent me. And I, I, I collect that book and I give them away. Yeah, and it's it's free for anyone who wants it on his website right now. And he would tell you he uses the ABC method of cognitive therapy, and that comes from Albert Ellis, a atheistic psychologist, but one of the most brilliant minds of psychology. Yeah, I mean, Christians, I, I know we're getting mm -hmm. off topic, but I think mental health does deal with it. Mm -hmm. Christians get depression. Christians can have mm -hmm. schizophrenia. Yep. Um, and there's a lot in the Christian, we're not saying that either of us have schizophrenia, but I'm just saying yeah. there are, we just visited a church the other day where one of the ushers, I mean, they were talking about it, he's dealing with schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. This is a fallen world. Right. And... Um, you you got to seek help where God has gifted gifted people to help you. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to dealing with abortion, if you think a secular counselor can do it, I mean, as long as I'd say as long as we're not going ever telling you the Bible is a bunch of nonsense and such and things like that, which that that would be problematic. But gotta do what you can to get yourself some help. And I know Allie's. Uh, she she sees a Christian counselor now who's really great, but she says a lot of them in the past have just been in the attitude of read your Bible and pray. And that's good, that's what we should be doing, but sometimes you need a little bit more than that. A lot of times you need more than that, and yes. Christians don't want to deal mm -hmm. with 
don't want to deal with that. You know the old, you know, example with the guy drowning on the roof and he says, oh, God's going to save me. And the person comes by in the boat and he's like, no, I'm not going to get in the boat. God's going to save me in the helicopter. And then at the end when he dies and goes to heaven, he says to God, I thought you were going to save me. He says, what? I sent you a helicopter and a boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when we come to these kind of situations, too often we can, in fact, think treat the Bible like it's a medicine cabinet where you go and you pour out this verse, you read that, oh, you're healed. I mean, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, that can happen. You can be struggling with an issue, you can come across a verse, and it just speaks to you, and you suddenly have joy, your weight's lifted, but... It's not the same thing. I can read a Bible verse sometime, and it'll have a great impact on me at that time, and I'll be really excited about it. Then later on, read that verse, and, eh, okay. It, it, it's not a guaranteed thing. It, it, it definitely isn't. Um, and it, if we're going to make an impact in this world in, in abortion and any of the other issues that people find, we... Um, we we have to get a whole lot more realistic and real and and not shy away so much from from culture and and hold ourselves up in 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 our ghettos mm-hmm. um but but speaking of biblical counseling and maybe maybe this is for somebody out there you never know god puts things in your mind when you're asking about things that help me through healing i actually um have a a, a verse that was the verse that helped me get over this and a lot of others. Would you mind if I shared it? Please, share it. Okay, and it's not everyone's typical life verse, you know. So yeah. this this may be for someone out there. And it's um, Isaiah 44:22, and I'll, I'll use the NIV. Um, God says, I have swept away all of your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And that, to me was a great verse of healing. I know in context it's referring to Israel, and I disagree with some of the Christian teaching that says you can't take things and apply it to you. Yeah, you can. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll do apologies to Greg Kokel. No. And I th- that verse is a verse of healing. No matter what you've done, mm-hmm. um, God has swept away those offenses. It doesn't mean you might not need to make amends on earth to other people, because you might. Alcoholics Anonymous has it right with that. But God has redeemed you. You know, when you were talking about the context, I was even thinking you could say, well, since we're all Christians, I mean, you and I would probably agree, we're all Israel in some well, sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that is for us, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wasn't even going to get into Greg Kokel's dispensationalism. Yeah. I wasn't even going to go there. Yeah. But I know he, he really much is not in favor of, you know. Yeah. Taking okay. some of these verses, but I, but I think it, it mm-hmm. you you can up to a point, and that one I definitely think is something that that Christians um, that Christians can hold on to, no matter what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, other people have probably done things that are a whole lot worse. Yeah. I mean, unless you're Hitler. Right. If you're Hitler, maybe I can't say that to you. But I, I'm pretty sure that no one listening to this program ha- has has killed millions of Jews. So you, no matter what you've done, mm-hmm. um, God can forgive it. And if anyone's listening, and the verse that Dee Dee did read uh, did really speak to you, I, I think she and I would both appreciate if you get in touch with us and let us know. That would be such a great blessing because Christians need encouragement too. 
Yeah, and you know what? I think that's our primary ministry. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it is a peace, charity, and encouragement, mm-hmm. particularly, particularly to to each other. Right. And um, I know corny Christian songs, you know, aren't doctrine. But there's a corny Christian song that I always thought was a mission statement um, when dealing with other Christians. Um, and that is the corny Christian song, they will know we are Christians by our love, mm-hmm. not by our doctrine. Our doctrine's important, but it's by our love. And a, and a line in that song that says, we will guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. We tend to think pride is always a bad thing, but I think in an encouraging and in, in, in preserving people's inherent value and worth is what that's talking about. And I do think that's our our primary ministry and if we keep that in mind we will have respect for the unborn we'll have respect for people who are disadvantaged in some way you know be it mental handicaps be it physical handicaps because we're all a broken people mm-hmm. you know I'm uh, I'm also wondering about some throughout here when you think about the future of some because Christians do think about what happens after death a lot do you think about seeing your children any um, yeah, and uh, you know, I don't have my theology down on that. I think that's a. I, I rest on that verse that the judge of all the world will do right. Right. I I I don't know if we can automatically, and again, my my reform presuppositions are coming into play, Nick. That mm-hmm. we can automatically say that all aborted children are in heaven. Um, because if that were true, then abortion is the greatest heaven-filling device that we've ever invented. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think we can just casually say that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I have hope. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with my mother. My mother died in a lot of sin, even though she went to church. A lot of unrepented sin. I have hope, but I, I don't know for sure. But I trust God. And that's where that's where I leave that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think Christians should be doing in the pro-life battles today? I think they need to speak more and not be afraid to speak, to become thoroughly familiar with the non-religious arguments in order to sway minds, um, not waste their energies, and this is a personal opinion, on political battles that are unwinnable and if they were won aren't going to accomplish anything because no jury is going to convict it. It's just not It's not going to happen. Convince minds, um, convince hearts. If you could convince every new medical student that abortion was wrong, it would become obsolete through having nobody to perform it. And I know some pro-choice people go, well, women will resort to coat hangers. Well, you want to know what? Murder is illegal, and some people still resort to bludgeoning their spouse to death. It, outlawing it isn't going to make it not happen. Of course not. But and making it unavailable isn't going to make it not happen. But we 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 can change the tide without the government, and um, but if we're going to do that, we can't be cold-hearted jerks. I was going to use a different word that wouldn't be appropriate for your show, <laughs> and not have then charities, even if it's our own personal charity, to help these women. 
Um, I would also encourage people to really, really look at the science behind things like the Plan B bill because the current pro-life opposition to that, I think, is making us look foolish and more abortions are happening as a result. Obviously, I can't tell someone to go against their convictions, but always examine your convictions. Are they well-founded? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is also one reason I tell when I'm interacting with skeptics, and one question I could ask them is, when was the last time you read a real scholarly work that disagreed with you? That's exactly it. That's mm. exactly it. So b- listen to what other people are saying. Mm. Don't brush aside the strength of the other argument. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't believe things because they're stupid. They believe things generally for pretty good reasons, and you, you've got to come face to face with and, and, and deal those with those reasons. Um, and above all, if we're going to respect life, the life of the unborn, respect the life of the person you're arguing with. Mm-hmm. I I sometimes tend not to be the most respectful person in debate, and that's a sin. That's a sin on my part. I need to stop that. So uh, I think us as as pro-life activists, if we're out to respect life and dignity, we need to, to work, um, and in this I would agree with, with Greg Kokel, into, you know, n- not being the most unattractive, loathsome, uh, abrasive persons that are out there. We, we, we want Christians to be known for their love, not because they're jerks. And unfortunately, you know, like it's often said, when a jerk becomes a Christian, he oftentimes isn't no longer a jerk. He just becomes a jerk with a Bible. Mm. Well, Dee Dee, it's really been a fascinating and a moving interview, but our two hours is nearly up. But if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, do you have a blog or website anyway they can get in touch with you? Right now, my only point of contact is Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I encourage anyone to friend me on Facebook, but I'll, I'll, I'll give the, the parental advisory warning. My posts can be raw, mm-hmm. and some Christians find them hard to digest for that mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so fair warning. If you, if you can handle that and sometimes spicy language, then I would love to have you as a friend, and I would love to talk to you. Um, on this issue or really any any other issue. But one thing I'm really not interested in is drag down debate. I got out of debate forums. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I, I even have to take a break from debate every now and then. I, I make sure to not debate on Sundays, for instance, and now I'm trying to limit my Facebook time to say, I've ever be reading because a lot of these debates been there, done that. They never end. No. <laughs> they yeah. really don't, Nick. They never end. <laughs> Well, is uh, is there any uh, final message you'd like to leave for the Deeper Waters audience today? Oh boy, this is what's like like a an Oscar acceptance speech. No, <laughs> Nick, I, I I really think I I said really everything mm-hmm. um, that I want to, um, except for um, I, I do think that this issue is one of utmost importance in 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 the Christian life. Human beings are created in the image of God. And don't just take your pro-life perspective. Don't just care about abortion. You know, care about getting involved in investing in people's lives all around. There's a reason why the pro-choicers scoff at us and call us fetus worshipers, because that's all we sometimes seem to care about. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's a legitimate criticism, and we need to take that to heart. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Dee Dee, it's been wonderful having you on, and I do hope we'll see you again sometime, especially when your book comes out. Yes, but Chris Date has you, I think, beat to the punch. I think he made me promise that he'd be first. I can be second. That's fine. (laughs) I think he did. I think he extracted that promise from him. But I do have reserved already for you on my list. When the book comes out, you will be getting your copy, and I would love to be on your program. Thank you. And I I really look forward to it. This is one of the best works you can read on this topic here. and I said, because I've seen it online before, so I know what's going to be in the book, but it's going to be great to have that reference there. But next week, we're going to have Dave Starrett on talking about his book, Aborting Aristotle. Why we need to return to the metaphysics of Aristotle in a portion. 